Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Ilona from the Money Memories podcast. Ilona's cool podcast is about having her guests share their impactful money memories and reflect on them. We met through a personal finance Facebook group, and after we chatted, I thought, well, Ilona, why don't you come on my podcast and share your money memories with the listeners? Of course, she said yes, and here we are. So yes, Ilona's money memories will take us from a mathematical error at the bank to her frugal bringing and frugal approach to money, and to her realizing, hey, I need to start making a plan with my money. This episode is for you. If you feel that your money story is unique and that others might not understand where you come from. Spoiler alert, it is not that unique. Anyway, without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello, Ilona. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Really excited to be here. Yeah, very good. And uh, I'm excited to have you too. And uh, okay, we're trying this uh, with video, so let's see how it how it goes. And yeah, excited to speak to you because I've been listening to your podcast, Money Memories, and we've been chatting a bit before as well. But I'm excited to hear actually your money memory story, actually. So that's why I brought you on. But maybe before we, we dive into the topic, can you introduce yourself uh, briefly, uh, Ilona? Yeah, I'm happy to. So my name is Ilona. I have spent my entire career working in financial services. I still work in finance. Mm -hmm. I grew up as an immigrant. My family and I are immigrants. My father is from Cuba and my mother is from Russia. We moved to the United States when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, which is a really nice town. And uh, I studied at the University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School for my undergraduate degree and received my, my MBA from Northwestern. And as I mentioned, currently work in financial services. And in the last year, I decided to start a financial literacy website called bearinthebull.com, where I try to demystify different topics in personal finance and explain it in layman's terms. And um, to the best of my abilities, I try to post them in Spanish and English. So you can say the financial services, um, financial literacy, all things finance are kind of within my wheelhouse. In addition to that, I also am a contributing fintech writer for Forbes where I write about different trends in venture capital and fintech. And as you introduced me, I also am a podcast host. So so yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. From that, you would probably think I live, eat, breathe, and sleep finance. But ironically, I don't think I do. Okay, okay. So we'll dive into that. So Ilona, first, then let's go into your money memory. So of course, you, you, you apparently live in the universe of numbers, finance, and compound interest. But um, okay, where does that all come from? So maybe let's start with your first money memory that comes to mind, something that happened in your childhood or anything, anything that comes to mind. Yeah, I think I always ask the guests on my show, what is your earliest or most impactful money memory? And for me, that memory is uh, going to the bank with my father when I was a little girl. I was probably in elementary school, I think. And um you know, I was an only child. We didn't have babysitters. I had to go with my dad everywhere during 
holidays and we never went anywhere fun. We would go to like the IRS office. <laughs> it sucked. And on this particular day, I think he picked me up from school and we had to go to the bank. And I remember waiting for my dad. And when he came out of the bank, he was walking really, and my dad's a very fast walker, but on this day he was walking particularly quickly. And I remember being like, wait up, wait up for me, dad. Like what's going on? And he was in such a fuss and he he recounted to me how the teller at this bank had apparently um, slightly miscalculated uh, a balance. Although what was on the receipt was correct when she was reading it out. Let's just say for, for illustrative purposes, it was three and three. And instead of six, she said it was five. And when my father corrected her, she responded, oh, it's close enough. To which he replied, there's no such thing as close enough in math. There's either uh, <laughs> the number or there isn't. And I just remember thinking like, huh? I just remember thinking like, is that what my dad is really upset about? Like math? But I think it's a really impactful memory for me because I think for me at its core, money is just about, it's just math. Um, there's no emotion to it. It's just math. It's just a math problem. It's just a number. It's just balances adding up multiplied over time. And so whether maybe that money, maybe that moment is when I kind of started to think that way, but mm-hmm. I've, I've definitely observed from my show, people have a lot of emotional reactions and responses to money. And I think somehow in my life, I've kind of, um, over, I don't know, maybe I'm just a weirdo, but I, I think I have a, a much more cold reception to money. I'm just like, it's a number and it needs to either grow or, or be spent. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'd say that's my earliest, most impactful money memory, because it really taught me that this is just like an, a simple algebra problem, not much more. Okay. That, that's interesting what you're saying, because uh, of course, you know, when I think about investing, I think about coldness, about trying to remove emotions. And the problem, what I see or what I hear, and I guess you're familiar with it as well, is the emotions, actually. So, yeah, it's interesting to, to hear that, uh, okay, you had this cold approach first. So how did that translate then further into your childhood, uh, teenage years, maybe your approach to money? How did that evolve? Or did you, did you always have that uh, numbers cold approach? I think so. I think it definitely translated into me pursuing a career in finance and mm-hmm. studying economics. I've, I, I, I like data. I like working with numbers. I like looking at numbers to tell the story. But in terms of my personal finance habits, I've been, it's interesting. I kind of always go back to what, how much of our money habits are kind of innate and in our personalities and how much are shaped by our environment. And another money memory I have is as a little girl, I would go shopping at the mall with one of my best friends. We were like eight years old. And Myself and her, we would always get like $5 from our parents, right? They're like, go to the mall, spend $5 on whatever you want. And I would always spend like 10 cents on the cheapest thing I could find. And my mom would always say like, you would spend 10 cents on like a candy, like a candy bar mm-hmm. and then you'd split it with me. Like you, I would share it with her. She's like, your friend would borrow your $4.90. Yeah, I would, she would always those $5 on yeah, spinach. She's like, and then she'd borrow it from you. So I can't tell you where, but anyways, I think what I'm trying to say is I've always been very frugal. I never, I didn't really, I haven't really, I don't really enjoy shopping. I buy what I need. So maybe that's just in my personality. I, I can't explain that, but I definitely think that kind of approach to numbers when I started taking my own personal finances seriously. Um, and when I really sat down and okay, told myself, okay, I need to make a plan. I need to understand where my retirement balances are. I need to stop being like a bird with my head in the sand. I need to come out. Um, mm-hmm. I had to find that, like, as I think I was ironically kind of like pushing that aside. Cause I was like, I'm doing whatever I'm, I'm saving a lot of money. I don't have credit card debt. I don't need to look at this. Right. But I had, like, I had to finally just take the, 
courage and find the nerve to say, okay, you need to just open up all your balances, figure out what you want to do, um, and educate yourself on the things that you're missing out on. Um, and so, so yeah, I definitely fall victim to, or I fall prey to wanting to kind of shirk those responsibilities sometimes. But when yeah. I go back to at the core, this is just a numbers game. I think that helps me. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you think that uh, you're, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, you moved to the U.S., When you were five, okay, maybe you don't you don't have a lot of memories from before five, but do you, since your um, your family is not uh, from the U.S. originally, do you think that plays a role as well in the um, in your in your approach to money? I definitely think so. I think for my parents, the capital system is not their home system. Mm-hmm. They were bo- they were raised and lived in a communist system, which is very different. And I'm starting to really understand the impacts of that as I get older. But for them, they also had to. They had to learn about financial education from scratch when they came to the United States. You know, things like credit scores don't exist in Cuba or Russia um, and building credit and, you know, what's, why that's important. So I think definitely watch, observing my parents probably really influenced me. They've always been very frugal. I would always see how like just very budget conscious, um, always buying things on sale. I remember my mom always cutting coupons and like I would look at coupons too with her when the, when the coupons came in the mail. I uh, have very vivid memories of my parents always negotiating. And even like we would go to like a family trip to Cancun and I would want like a keychain. And let's say it costs like 50 pesos. My mom would be like, offer 20. And I was like, but and she's like, offer 20 or just walk away. And I would be like, <laughs> but I really want this keychain. And she was like, it's not worth more than five. So and, and I was remember being like, why are you so savage? I just want this little keychain. <laughs> but I definitely, yeah, those um, negotiating, being very tenacious um, and really being very um, mindful it's, of your spending. It's um, like those fighting are things that for I your so, money almost. Uh... Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I got to really see, like, I, I remember, like, um, when, if I didn't check my bank account, my dad would be like, who's, <laughs> like, he would be like, who's going to care about your money more than you? Like, why do you not care about, like, these things? Like, yeah, yeah. it takes so much work to earn a dollar, right? So I feel like I was always, that message was really relayed upon me when I was growing up, was like, This is very, you need to care about this. You need to understand this. You mm-hmm. need to watch out for this because this is only you can, no one can care more than you. No, no, it's, it's good. It's true. It, it, but it's interesting. It's, uh, I like to hear it because, you know, for example, my, uh, my parents, um, okay, let's say they have a different approach to money, not fundamentally. I mean, they're kind of aligned, but when it comes to negotiating, for example, My mom, my mom is more comfortable with it than my dad. My dad is a bit afraid to negotiate. He's a, so we, we are pushing him a bit. I know he's, he doesn't listen, so it's okay. I can talk about him because it's in English. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> no, so, so it's interesting. And then when, once you moving back to when you were an, a young adult, so you said, look, I put my head out of the sand and started to really look at my finances, uh, credit cards, etc., taking responsibility. So sure, you have this cold approach, you have your background, but how, do you, how did you do that concretely? Yeah, so um, I have always been a very good saver. I w- I've always been very frugal. So I lived in some very high cost of living cities, such as Manhattan and San Francisco. And just to give you an example, in both of those, like in Manhattan, all my friends had apartments with with elevators and, oh, and, you know, washer dryers in the building or like a dishwasher. And I was like, I don't need a dishwasher. I don't even really need an elevator. I just need a bed. And I just need something that isn't viewing like the dumpster and it needs to not be that expensive. 
so, <laughs> so you didn't I always, host a lot um, of parties, uh, maybe. I mean, in a studio apartment, you could probably host like your cat <laughs> in Manhattan. <laughs> um, yeah, there's. Well, I mean, I would have like a friend over for dinner, but definitely not a party. Definitely not yeah. a party spot where I was living. But I was always very like I was always very mindful of like I know this is the market, but I don't want to spend that much money. So let me see what I could. What can I cut out? What can I sacrifice? Because it doesn't make sense to me to spend this much money. Um, on an apartment, like for me, like, so I always, I had it, I had like a good sense of like, this is my budget. This is how much I'm willing to spend. And my, just my, cause my friends have marble or whatever, granite countertops and like rainfall showers. It's okay. I'll survive because I need to save money. So I've always been a very good saver. Um, like I would save money from my paycheck. I, like I said, I'm not a big shopper. So I've always been able to pay off my credit. I've never had credit card debt and things like that. But what, um, what I, for me, what it meant to take the next step in my finances is really mapping out like an investment plan. So I had all this money stashed in my savings. And I remember I called a good friend of mine who's very, he's super, he's like the most person, he was the most financially literate literate person that I know. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at my balances and he was like, okay, this is how much have you in, in cash basically. And he was like, Alona, what is the interest? What's inflation? And I was like, like two to 3%. And he was like, okay. So he's like, what's the APR on your high yield savings mm-hmm. account? And I was like, 0.7%. He's like, so you're throwing away two and a half percent every year. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like very girl. shocked. Exactly. And I was like, this is so, ins-. he's like, okay, your quote unquote high yield savings. Like we shouldn't even call it that anymore. It's just like, <laughs> he's like, you need to invest. Right. And so I was like, right, that's ridiculous. I know all these things, but so anyways, that was the first kind of stuff that I took was finally saying, yeah. parking my money out of cash or like I had enough in my, I have enough in my emergency fund, thankfully, um, part by taking that money and putting it to work, um, and allocating it across, um, various mutual funds and ETFs. I'd also, for, for us in the United States, we have, you know, Roth IRAs, 401ks, different ways to contribute to retirement. So fortunately I had been pretty, I'd always been pretty good about the 401k contributions, but for example, in hindsight, I realized I should have been contributing to both my Roth when I was eligible to, as well as my 401k. So these are things that I'm like, these are, these are, these are the lessons that I should have had. (laughs) Yeah. And and so for the international listeners, the, the Roth is a retirement account that you can benefit from, but it's in addition to your uh, employers, right? So it's like you do it on your uh, on a voluntary basis. Precisely. Yeah. Great explanation. And so I had always studied. Like I, it was funny. I'm talking. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a founder of this fintech platform, and he's like, "At Wharton, they teach us, you know, LBOs and M&A, but no one actually sits down and teaches you like how to manage a checkbook." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah." So we felt kind of really financially illiterate starting in the working world. Like we were very good about managing our money, like in terms of saving, but in terms of actually investing for ourselves, that was kind of, ironically, that was lost on us. These great Wharton graduates. Yes, I, I know. I. I know the same problem. And I talked to a friend of mine who lives here in Luxembourg. And uh, we talked about the same. We come from the same university. We studied finance together. And she even worked with the wealth management. But then she, re- she started really to invest only a couple of years ago. Huh? And it's, uh, it's really funny. I mean, in the stock market. So it's really funny how it comes. Huh? We study LBOs, MBOs, whatever, econometrics. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's only when you're in the real life that you actually really look at your finances. So that's the same in US and Europe, uh, I can say, or in Belgium, I would say, to be specific. So that, that's interesting. And then, so you, you start your career, you start to making these moves, 401ks, Roth IRAs. And then what? Did you then start your uh, podcast and blog uh, at that time? Or uh, was, was there a transition phase uh, going into, um, in between, I would say? 
You know, ironically, I think my blog was the fire that I needed to get myself together because mm-hmm. I was like, you can't be writing about these things and not living your truth. This is ridiculous. Like, how can you tell people to contribute to the airport and not do it yourself? <laughs> so I run like, uh, I, like, I can say that I practice what I preach. Um, mm-hmm. but ironically, like, I think not like I was always contributing for my 401k and things like that, but the investment side of things, I was like, how am I, how am I sitting here telling people to invest when I'm rotting away my own money and a high yield saving. That's ridiculous. So in a way, like I think the two things came together, like where I took the move to, you know, kind of educate people and I started educating myself. And then I put that into practice. So, cause I, I was like, I can't be a fraud. I can't be telling people things I'm not doing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Correct. And then um, going back to your first memory. So you said, uh, okay, I was looking at numbers cold and um, I mean, from a cold perspective, without emotion. So are you still having this approach when you invest in money, when you invest your money uh, yourself? Do you manage yeah. to split with the emotions? I think so. I remember when I got um, the, the one time that I, for example, we got like a bonus last year for work and I texted mm-hmm. my friend. I was like, oh, we got this bonus. What should I do with it? Like how, you know, how much should I put into investing and how much should I put into like my my savings account? Because anyway, and he's like, you should put, he's like, well, between 90 and hundred percent. For a second, I was like, <gasps> For a split second. And then I just put it all into my investment account. So like, I, I did feel like the, bye. But then I was like, no, I'm going to put it in. It's going to compound interest and it's going to be great. And if it's a, it's a, it's a privilege that I'm able to do that and not have to take mm-hmm. something like that and, you know, pay off a, a, yeah, that, like a, high, a high interest yeah. debt or something. So, yeah. And, and living in the US, uh, how did you manage to stay out of debt? Because it, it, it's a common problem in, in the US that the credit card debt, um, Part where people buy stuff they don't need, but it's not always um, easy to tackle. I mean, because it depends a bit how you grow and if everybody in your, um, I guess, your environment, your friends, your parents are used to credit card debt, it's easy to fall into that trap and then hard to get out, but it's possible. But what about you? You didn't, you never got into that trap? Nope. Um, my parents also never had credit card debt. Um, so I think, like I said, I, they modeled pretty good responsible um, financial habits for me. Also, when my parents first gave me a credit card, the way some people fear Jesus is how I feared the credit card. I remember they were like, this is a credit card. Okay. They're like, you will never use it unless it's an emer- unless your life is on fire. And when you do use it, you need to pay it back right away. You need to pay it back right away. And I was like, okay, okay, oh my God. So I was like so scared of my credit card. I was like, it was like, it was like it could have been on fire. That's how scared I was of it. Yeah. But I think that's a that's a valuable lesson that they gave me, right? They were like, this, like my parents are always like, credit cards are not games, they're not toys. You only mm. spend what you can afford to pay off every month, and you need to pay it off every single month. Like I knew nothing else about life, but I knew to pay off my credit card every single month because I knew bad things happen when you don't. So yeah. I'm happy that my parents, <laughs> like they really instilled the fear of God with me with, in terms of credit card debt. The first, and I was fortunate in that when I went to college, my parents um, are wonderful and they were able to pay for my education. So I did not have to mm-hmm. take out student loans as an undergraduate. However, I did take out student loans as a graduate student. And that was my first time doing that. And I remember I was like looking at these numbers and I was like, oh my God, I'm scared. Well, am I going to be broke for the rest of my life? But thankfully, thankfully, um, I was able to navigate that landscape. And, and like now my student, my student loans are um, under, everything is, is copacetic. Um, Re- but remove that was really the emotions, the- Ilona, and then. Uh should go fine. It's a numbers game. 
<laughs> but it's, it's, I mean, it's intimidating when you see that. Cause you're like, like, I knew I was going to, I was like, I absolutely, I'm going to business school. This is one of the best schools in the world. Duh. I'm going to go. I'm it's a privilege to be able to attend. But then I was like, so I need to be making what kind of salary to graduate <laughs> after I graduate? Like, are you sure I'm going to get, a, you're going to get me a job after I graduate, right? <laughs> like we're going to be employed. So it's less about like the, but it's more about like the after. Cause you know, that like the, that the finding the job is all on you. So like now, like you have one part of the, you know, you have one part of it, you were in school. The second part of it is what you do with that education, because now you have this like burden on you that you, uh, you, uh, you signed it away. So it's on you. It's yours now. And so now what are your future plans? Because now you have, it seems you all your ducks in a row. What is the future for yourself? I mean, in terms of uh, investments and, uh, and your finances? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm not currently a homeowner. I would like to be one day. But it's not something that's particularly um, stressing me out at this point. Like I, the idea of parting with like a hundred thousand, I'm not like super thrilled to be like, let me go put it all on a down payment. Like that, I don't really, I'm not in a rush to do that. Um, so that's probably the next step for me in terms of you know my 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 life. Also, just like continuing to rebalance my portfolio and things like that. So yeah, as an as a as an investor, as a somewhat like in personal finance person, that's probably the next goal that I would have. But it's also not like a pressing a like okay exactly exactly it's, or it's not urgent okay yes and, and then I, I was wondering as well you hear all these money stories on your uh, on your podcast it's quite interesting then you hear a lot of perspective even from uh, I listened to the one with Warren from London so it's from all around the world and, and do you have some common patterns or common general um, issues that that you see re that are rec recurring or recurring you know that comes back yeah the the one thing that i will say that most people every, just what everyone says is um before they tell me their story is oh probably no one can relate to this or i'm probably the only person in the world to feel it i'm always like no and i'm like this is why i have the show because the number of times i hear people say well i'm probably the only one i'm like you're not the only one like you're like someone might have anxiety around like for example i've had people who said i actually grew up you know in a really financially stable household so i feel weird talking about my money memories and i was like get, that's i was like that's a thing people feel that way too they like they feel like financial literacy is not for them or not financial literacy or they feel like certain finance topics aren't for them because they might be more focused on like one chunk and i'm like no there's there's still things you can be doing even if you're financially stable or you grew up with a financially stable background i hear the other side where people are talking about like you know like their debt payoff journeys and like lessons they could have learned. So I think the one universal thing is that everyone has, everyone feels as if they're the only one or that their story is mm -hmm. that like no one can relate. And what I found in this, the podcast and in sharing these stories is that actually like there are many common themes. There are common themes across, you know, scarcity mindset. There are common themes about feeling insecure. There are common themes around feeling we should be doing more no matter where you come from in the economic spectrum. Um, and so that's, that was my hypothesis. I was like, I believe that if I start this show, then people will start realizing that money issues are universal and i feel like i'm proving it through each episode yeah absolutely that that's cool and then um i had one maybe one last question to you i mean you're working in the finance space how is the um, yeah the topic of financial literacy for the people themselves because okay they might be uh, i don't know fund managers they might deal with accounting they might deal with various topics but do you feel that their personal finances are in um, are in the right place or do you still feel hmm, well 
they don't have their ducks in a row yet, neither, even though they're in the finance space? I think that's a good question. I will say that um, I feel like the financial services industry, especially like in the world of, let's say like high finance, like investment banking and private equity, you tend to see disproportionately a lot of individuals who come from immense wealth. Um, and a lot of privileged backgrounds. And you can note that because they've had like financial advisors their whole life. <laughs> you can just tell you, you're like, oh, your parents have always had an invite. And like, so they've put money in a trust for, and you have, you know, so I kind of feel like in a way, if you're someone like me who grew up middle-class and you make your way into those circles, you'd talk about it even less because you're like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to like, well, all the, I'm not going to show my kind of social position. Like, I'm not going to talk about it because I, I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting world where you have, I think, I think there's some people who have to dominate the conversation because of the privilege that they come from. And because of that privilege that everyone's trying to aspire to, it's not discussed. Um, so you really don't know what's going on financially mm-hmm. in people's lives in that area. And the more I kind of interact with individuals through, you know, social media, the more they can say, they all share stories of, yeah, I was actually in that industry and I was broke, but I wasn't telling any of my friends this because I Mm. had to maintain this image. So I think it's a tricky one because the salaries are very high, obviously. um, But so too- Maybe you need to, you don't need to, but maybe you need to, yeah, to to have this image, uh, wear a suit every day and this kind of stuff. Exactly. So show success. (laughs) Exactly. So I think the lifestyle creep can really- um, yeah, creep up on you. Yeah. But I, people, people, I think always gave the perception, like the outward perception that everything was really under control. So I would never, I never had the feeling. I was like, oh, that person's really broke. Okay. And, and then maybe a, a one, actually one last question um, for the listeners. What would you say to, would you have a two, three financial tips to get started, to get your finances in order? What, what would you say? The first thing I would say to anybody is just log into their accounts. Like, do you know how many times I forgot my password? It's embarrassing. I think I forget it every five months. And I think I'm like, oh, I'm going to log into my account, but I'm not going to because I forgot my password. So if you're listening today, please just like reset that password, like reset it and log into your account and check and like just lay out all your balances. If you use an Excel spreadsheet to do that, that's great. I recently started using personal capital because you can link your accounts and it just the visualizations are really nice. But that's step one, because if you don't know what you have, you can't make a plan. So the first thing is just like swallow your pride. You've forgotten all your passwords and your usernames. It's cool. Recover <laughs> them. Take those 10 minutes. We've all been there. Um, so that'll be like the, the first step that I would take. And the second one would be, I think the most important thing is to kind of map out your goals, right? And for each person that can be different. For some people, it could be, I want to start building my emergency fund. For some people, it's, okay, I need to pay off this high interest debt. Other people, it's, I want to buy a house in 10 years. Some people, it's, I want to buy a car. I want to maybe go back to school. Each of those situations are going to engender very different financial choices, right? And very different habits. So after you've seen what you have, you need to identify, okay, what is my goal? So for example, when I um, was starting to apply to business schools, I knew that I would you know, have to forego income when I was a student. So I started to kind of be, um, uh, to spend more mindfully, eat out less, um, try to save more. Cause I was trying to build up a little nest egg for myself for when I did eventually go to school, things like, so, you know, my long-term plans will influence your short-term decisions. So yeah, I think those are the two things that I would say, log in and make a plan. <laughs> and very easy. And you can do it now, basically. <laughs> 
exact right now. It's I mean, okay. Plan, I don't tell anybody about your some, password. Yeah. <laughs> the plan needs some some thinking and some time, but at least logging in and setting up your uh, I mean visualizing what you have. It's you know, excellent tip. Never heard it before. So very good. Thank you, Ilona. And then yeah, Ilona, we've come at the end of the show. And as you may know, so first of all, thank you for sharing your your story, your money memories with us, and as well uh, for sharing these tips and uh, yeah, this inspiring, um, yeah, giving us some inspiration to uh, yeah get better with our finances as well. And uh, yeah, so as you know, we have uh, before we close, we have our three quick fire questions. So are you ready? <laughs> as ready as I'll ever be. I see you're ready. So uh, we talked about uh, investing, but what has been your best investment so far? My education. Yes, definitely my education. I was privileged to attend some of the best schools in the world. And I definitely can say, including high school, I think my high school, my, my free public high school, some of the best education I ever received. And so I think the best investment I ever made for myself is in my education. It's afforded me opportunities and open doors that I don't think would otherwise be available to me. Excellent. And um, do you have a book that you can recommend to anyone, a book that inspires you or that, and it does not need to be a financial book? The Count of Monte Cristo. I really want to live his life. Okay. I, I didn't read it, but okay. Yeah, I know. You must. I, I must. Classic. Okay, well, I, I'll look it up anyway. So I'll have, I'll have a look. <laughs> Very good. And uh, last question. It's always a tricky one. What has been your best purchase for under $100? Easily my microphone. I call him Sammy or Samuel. It's the Samsung Q2U. It's the microphone that I Googled when I was starting my podcast and it's just been terrific. I think this is this microphone represents like so much to me. I'm looking at it talking to it as a person. Yeah, My I microphone. Know. <laughs> I think it was like seventy dollars. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Excellent. It does not cost a lot to start a podcast, so you can start as well, or maybe use it for a YouTube channel if you're listening and want to start. So seventy dollars. That's it, and you have your phone. Okay. Excellent. So Ilona, the listeners, they can find you, of course, on your podcast, uh, the Money Memories podcast. But uh, where else can they find you? Yeah. So my website, www.bearinthebull.com is kind of like the central resource. You can read all my mm -hmm. writings for Forbes. You can listen to the Money Memories episodes um, and also my blog posts. You can connect with me on Instagram at bear.andthebull or also at money underscore memories. Um, you can also tweet me. I'm at bearinthebull1. Basically, I'm around. Please yeah, connect everywhere. with me. I can't wait to hear your stories. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, Ilona, it was a pleasure. So uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something from it. And if you find it useful, please make sure you share it with a friend. And you can also rate the show in your favorite podcast app. This will help the show to grow. So if you do so, thank you very much. And on that note, Gail, thank you very much for leaving a review. And now, before we head off, let's go through the key takeaways for today. Number one, what is your first money memory? I would recommend you try to dig into your early money memories. I think it can really help you to find out how your relationship with money came to be. Your early money memories will explain a lot about how you think about money today. So for Ilona, money is just math and she has always been a frugal, for example. And for you, it will be different, depending on your story. Number two, stick your head out of the sand. You can be frugal all you want and save money, but at some point, you need to make a plan with your money. Map out an investing plan because otherwise all the money in your savings accounts, in your high yield savings account, will be eaten up by the inflation. Number three, money issues are universal. Everyone feels as if they are the only one, but actually someone may relate to your money story as well. Number four, 
quick actionable tips to get started with your money. Number one, log into your accounts now and retrieve your passwords if necessary. And uh, yeah, the goal is to have the overview of your balances. And for the American Amigos, you can use a, an app such as a Personal Capital, for example. And I repeat, this can be done now. Number two, map out your financial goals and start building your plan. And for the last key takeaway of today, I will quote Ilona's dad, who's going to take care more about your money than you. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.